Hello and welcome to episode 298 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F them up. In our very, very humble opinion, it is October. Therefore, it is scary season. Yeah, that's right. It's the build-up to Halloween. It's the build-up to those horror films you love and you can't wait to watch every Halloween, which is why I'm putting this episode out now. This is the live event we recorded a couple of months ago, maybe, and it was the Scary Success panel run by Peter Story of the fantastic Greenlit uh, and in association with Kino. And the people on the panel were incredible. And I was lucky enough to sit on that panel with them. I am Giles Alderson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for spending your time listening to us, well, me at the moment, talk about how we make films and what you are doing right now to get on with making your film. What are you doing? Do you want to make a horror film? Great. Why aren't you doing it? I know it sounds vague and silly and ridiculous, but it's important. Why aren't you doing it? Is your script not ready? Okay, well, get it ready. Uh, Do you not have the money? It's a tough one, but hey, go find it. Do you not have the crew, the people around you? You can find them in all sorts of places, especially at panels like this one. Uh, There were so many filmmakers there, so many creatives, and they all chatted to each other afterwards. And that's what's so good about those panels, about those talks. Go to them. Make an effort. I know it's hard sometimes, but it's so important for you as filmmakers to interact with other filmmakers and talk and that's how things get made so on the show today uh, like i say it's live so who did we have on on this panel obviously apart from myself but peter story was the host and he asked myself uh, lots of questions about how i made uh, my first feature film which was a horror called the dare and i was delighted to be joined uh, on that panel by uh, some very esteemed guests and some people breaking out into the industry right now they included paul mcavoy now if you don't know paul he's one of the founders of fright fest Yeah, that's right. The festival is coming up very, very soon on October the 29th, end of this month. Paul was also the programming coordinator for the UK Horror Channel and he's the co-owner of the highly successful Cinema Store. He's now freelancing on various film and television projects. So he was on the panel. Who else was on the panel? We had the fantastic Sarah Appleton. Sarah is a director, producer. She's an editor. She's also a cinematographer. She's very much well known at the moment for her excellent documentary the found footage phenomenon she has a wealth of amazing credits behind her that she's worked on in so many capacities and she's a real rising star in the industry we also had on the amazing jake west you'll know jake west He's a film director. He's mostly known for his horror films, but he's also made a series of documentaries looking at film censorships and interviewing well-known directors and actors along the way. His first feature, though, was Razor Blade Smile. It was released in 1998, and it was a huge success within the indie filmmaking world. He also uh, is the director of Evil Aliens, which really is a British slapstick horror comedy in the vein of Brain Dead uh, and Evil Dead. And then following Evil Aliens, he made Pumpkinhead and the huge hit Doghouse, starring Danny Dinell, Clark, Stephen Graham. And recently he did the ABCs of Death and Video Nasties. And very recently he released Midnight 
Peep Show. Not only did we have those three, we also had the team behind Switchblade uh, Cinema, who's an award-winning um, film collective production company run by the fantastic Alex Austin and Kia Stewart. They have development slate. They've been on the crowdfunding circuit and the festival circuit. Uh, and their latest film, Kill Your Lover, is a feature and they are going into production, hopefully, very, very soon. And the final person on the panel was the distributor, uh, the head of production and acquisitions at Jinga Films, the director, the writer, the producer, Julian Richards. Uh, you might know him from Darklands or Summer Scars, the last horror movie, Queen's Sacrifice, but this guy knows his onions when he talks about selling and distributing films now between us all we all had a great chat we, there was lots of discussions some people agreed some people disagreed now it's a very long this episode might not be it might be cut down but when we recorded it i think it was two and a half hours and it was a very very hot uh, hen and chickens above that room there but it was a brilliant chat and i hope you get so much out of this i really really do the sound is a little bit spotty in places so do bear with that so we talked on the episode about getting your work scene via festivals how important that is if you didn't get into a big festival what other ways are there of getting your film seen the importance of cast uh, knowing your audience specific platforms for horror content how can you make horror films what's the value of horror films and also what is the value of short films nowadays we also dived into the new way of marketing your films merchandise how do you engage your audience is weird good? Uh, why should you have multiple projects when going into the market? Casting, getting cast, getting name actors on board, and so, so much more about films, about distribution, about selling your film. Uh, this was great. I thoroughly enjoyed this, so I hope you do too. Remember, sign up to our Patreon account. There is so much more behind the scenes. I imagine Toby has cut a load of this, so do click the link to that. Do join us on our Patreon and it costs you nothing it's not even a coffee so do join us it means we can continue doing this podcast it means we all feel good about ourselves that someone likes us and of course you do and saying that if you do like this do tell your friends that's how we grow do go on iTunes and give us a five star review why not coming up very soon for you is episode 300 ah, there might be something special I'm still in filming mode at the moment I'm still under a blankie right now <laughs> recording this for you so I'm not sure what is going to happen for our uh, 300th episode but I'm trying and our team are trying and our hosts are trying to get someone cool for you but if not it'll still be us it'll still be amazing and we have lots of amazing guests coming up whether that's the 300th episode I have no idea either way what's more important than any of that is that you are inspired to go out there and make your film yourself if you haven't yet then go do it if you've already made one then go make another that's what it's about inspiring you to do just that so after you've listened to this do something to make that happen whether it's sending an email giving a nudge to someone writing that next page of your script next scene why not go for it that's what i want you to do so without any further ado this is scary success enjoy Activity, for example, these were independent films um, that were made outside of the studio system. A, a lot of successful horror films are made by the studios. Um, so what they have, you know, to their advantage is um, is uh, PA. They have huge marketing um, abilities. You know, so the film might cost 
a, you know, a couple of million to make, but they'll spend 20 million on the first week of theatrical and then 80 million to run it over to a second week. So you can see what you're up against, you know, that um, if you're a, a little independent coming in with a hundred grand film, how, how can you compete with that? You can't. But occasionally, um, you'll get every, every seven years or so, you'll get a breakthrough like Blair Witch, like Paranormal Activity, that gets picked up by a studio. So how does that happen? How do you get picked up by a studio? Well, one of the routes to getting that kind of attention is through the film festival circuit. You probably need to uh, premiere your film at um, Toronto, Midnight Madness, maybe Sundance, maybe Tribeca, maybe South by Southwest, but ultimately it's those two. It's, it's, it's Toronto and, um, and, and Sundance. I believe Paranormal Activity was picked up by Paramount Vantage in Toronto. And then they sat on it for three years whilst they basically remade it. You know, at this point, I, I should sort of hand over to Jake because Jake made a film that was selected for Toronto, okay. um, which is an incredible achievement. So he might have some stories about that. Um, well, I think, yeah, we my film Evil Aliens went to Toronto Midnight Madness, which is, yeah, an amazing, uh, an amazing experience as a filmmaker. I mean, any festival you go to is an amazing experience as a filmmaker because it's a chance to see your film with an audience. But Midnight Madness is insane because it really is mad in the sense of it was two, the audience was 2,000 people and it turned up at the screen and literally, I mean, you know, like an old photos of like sort of Star Wars, you see queues around the block. It was like that. And it was my film. And it's like, bloody hell, this is a, like, this is a film I've made for fuck all. And it's, uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't know if you can swear on this, but yeah, so it's that, that kind of exposure was really interesting, but we had already been picked up by, they'd already done a deal with content film at that point for the UK, the, the, the producer. So it was financed by one financier and we had already had a deal. So it, it didn't blow up in the sense of, say, a paranormal activity because we didn't have an American studio attached. But it meant that I got a chance to talk to a lot of the kind of bigger distribution companies like the Ghost House Pictures wanted to have a meeting and Plan B, Brad Pitt's company. So it's a chance of, it was a chance to be noticed by people. But it's always like they're always, they're, they're always sort of trying to find out, well, what's next and stuff like that. But in the end, but I was doing a film for the sci-fi channel next, so it wasn't really probably the best move, <laughs> like retrospectively thinking. But for me, it was like one of the first times I ever got paid properly to make a film. So it seemed like a good idea, but it's actually the film I'm least proud of. So, you know, those swings and roundabouts of, you, of your career, because you don't really know what's going to happen. So from the perspective of as a filmmaker, though, Julian is absolutely right. Get your films into festivals because that's the place where they're going to get seen and you're going to get noticed. So the real key to any successful film, though, is, is your story has to be good and unique and it has to have something in it that people want to see. So that, your job as a filmmaker is to concentrate on getting your story as you want it, not as other people want it. Because if you're trying to make a film for a distributor, then you're, then you're being told what to do. And that's the problem I had on the Sci-Fi Channel film. From being completely independent on Evil Aliens, I had a, a rule book given me to say, you can't have swearing, you can't have sex, you can't have drug use, bloody, bloody, blah, which kind of ruined my filmmaking in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, so be aware of that. So, but get the platform and then, then try and exploit it, but hopefully a bit better than I did when I was in that situation. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely is a case where, you know, uh, I've made nine, nine feature films and um, the two that I made myself on a micro budget are the two that I've enjoyed the most making and uh, the two that have sort of been most successful. What I will say about the whole um, Toronto Midnight Madness, I was there with you, Jake. Remember? What, what good times are that? Um, 
Colin Geddes, who used to program me, one of, one of my closest friends, and Peter Kaplowski, who runs Midnight Madness now, they only have nine slots. So your film has to play at midnight 30, because that's when it starts, and go on till 2.30 in the morning, and then a Q&A at 3 a.m. So your film has to be absolutely top-notch. Otherwise, people are going to be falling asleep, walking out, blah, blah, blah. We at FryFest have got much more screening slots. I think this year, although we haven't announced it, and we just had the lineup today finalized, it's like 70 or 80 pictures. Can you imagine as a film festival programmer, if you can only select nine films out of the hundreds that you're going to get sent, it would drive me fucking mental. Um, because they're all like my, my children, my, my babies, that I want to look after and nurture. So at FryFest, we had the early works by everybody from Guillermo to Chris Nolan to whoever, Jake West, et cetera, et cetera. So we're allowed that bit more flexibility, a bit like Fantasia, which is another great festival in um, Montreal, in Canada. And they're over three or four weeks. Can you imagine what Fright Fest would be like over three or four weeks? <laughs> I'd be a wreck, more than a wreck than what I usually am. Um, or Sitges, which is also an amazing festival, which is in Spain, and that's in October. And they have the brilliance of having 120 features that they can select so if you submit to toronto midnight madness don't be downhearted he only has nine slots so that's all i'll say and also um if you're going to make a film it's all about the idea it's not about the budget it's about the idea and that's where blair witch and paranormal which is the boring things to mention all the time because you know they're the breakout they're the breakout um hits but those films had it wasn't about the budget it was about the idea and the idea costs nothing but it takes a lot to come up with that idea uh, i'll just say it quickly i'm, I'm actually going to steal somebody else's thing that i heard at another q a um because obviously i haven't had a film uh at a you know, big festival. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to rip off people who did. Uh, but uh, Paul was actually really awesomely put together a screening recently of The Endless and Spring by uh, Aaron Benson, sorry, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who are two guys that I'm fucking obsessed with. Low key, just like want to be friends with them so badly. Um, but, but like, come, no. Come to Fryfest in August, you'll be fine. Oh, I don't know. Is this, are, you, are you letting us in on something? You're telling me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but um, they said they had a Q and A. I did. They didn't ask. They didn't answer my question. I put my hand up, and they didn't. They, they didn't answer it. Uh, anyway, um, point is, one of the things that they said, which was really fascinating, is they were basically like, you know, if you're making something on a low budget, everyone kind of says to you, you know, make something commercial. But the thing is, if you're making something commercial, then ultimately, you know, you're competing against things that are like five, ten million dollars that you can't compete with. So instead, you're actually better making something that's more idiosyncratic, creative, interesting, because it'll cut through. And even if it's not the biggest runaway hit, you know, you build off of that and you make more things. And it's like, I mean, hey, I'm still talking talking about spring obsessed with it and it's one of the major influences of what we're trying to do now. So, I mean, you know, there's really something in that in being like leading with creativity rather than just a pure commercial instinct. Yeah, I, I totally want to follow up what you said. Um, it is really about creativity and it is really about festivals, but you know, we have to not forget that we live in a digital age where you can get things out there to people. Um, if you do it the right way. And um, has anybody seen the short film Lights Out, like as an example? Yeah. I think, I mean, that was 
a brilliant short and so brilliant that um, James Wan saw it and took the director over to LA to make the feature and now he's made Shazam and like Annabelle creation and all this other stuff. So at the end of the day, as long as you have a really good idea and you're really good at what you do, you should be able to find a way. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree with that. And and going back to the festival thing, my debut movie, The Dare, got picked up at Popcorn Frights, hence why I'm wearing this uh, T-shirt today, because it, it was a place where we had distributors there. They were, they were going to see films. Festivals like that, when you do get in, you do, it's so important to go. It's so important to be there if you can, show your face, make sure the programmers know that you're turning up. But also just by having your film shown there makes such a difference. And we got offers from showing at Popcorn Fright straight away. And I'm sure it happens at all the best of the other festivals as well. And I'm, I'm sure Paul will fill you in on all the Fright Fest successes, but how important it is to be there and show face. It's really important. Yes, absolutely. And for those of you that are interested, we've got two sessions on our YouTube channel from Katie McCulloch of Festival Formula. And she iterates very, very much what Giles just said about the significance and the importance of actually being there and pressing the flesh and talking to people about what your work and not merely the film that's playing um it's absolutely valuable and i'm delighted that in-person film festivals are coming back i'm delighted it was kind of the kind of the rationale between having an in-person event tonight as well so that's the strategy if if you want to have a smash hit you're going to need a studio or studio sized backing in in your pna you know again the, the examples we, we were talking about you don't necessarily you think of them in terms of their craft and being very independent, you don't necessarily think of them having that studio heft behind them. This is always a challenge because very many filmmakers say, well, you know, I'm going to make my film and then it'll get into Sundance and I'm not Miramax anymore, but somebody will pick it up and away we go, Hollywood, here we come. But obviously that's very challenging, you know, nine slots in Midnight Madness. What are some alternative paths? So, you know, Sarah, you mentioned alternative paths aspects of distribution what are the panels seeing in terms of you know different paths for films be that independent releasing who are the who are the effective distributors in this country for, for small films and we'll, we'll talk about streaming in a minute because i think that's a different question but what are some alternative paths if, if you if you're sitting on something you've made and you haven't you know set one of the major festivals on fire what, what, what else could you do with it? We've got a film which I saw a very early, very, very rough cut of um, just the other day, which is going to be amazing. Their strategy is to go out with, in their opinion, the three key festivals worldwide. Then they are going to self-distribute. So after we've premiered it and after another festival's premiered it, they're going to actually, it's not a UK-based production, they're going to reap the rewards of the festival exposure and reviews and the word of mouth and the buzz and the Twitter and Facebook. And they're actually going to, they're going to bypass distribs entirely and they're going to sell straight to the fan. So that's just one example of how possibly you can bypass the, the studio system circuit. Because as Julian said, the, the P&A for press and advertising, basically, is, is what that means. Um, where you've got something like Doctor Strange or Jurassic or Top Gun, which are flooding all the cinemas. You know, you try and go and see a movie, you try and see Men, and it's showing once, if you're lucky. Or you go and see Northman, it might be showing once, if you're lucky. Or Black Phone is doing quite well, but it's still only on very limited screens. And that's because 
the press and advertising spend of somebody like Disney to promote Jurassic or Top Gun or whatever, it's sw a swamping the market. So anybody trying to release independently genre or any other genre in the UK is going to catch a cold. If you spend 50,000 quid on your brand new feature, which is a think piece, which is a romantic comedy, you've directed really well. Kermode loves it, good old Marky. And, but it ain't gonna translate to people bums on seats. So, because everybody's gonna see Jurassic, etc., etc. So why would I spend, if I was distributing your picture, 20 or 50 grand or more, because it's not going to reap the returns. I mean, I I, I semi agree with it, but um, but in reality, digital distribution is a rabbit hole, and it's becoming increasingly a rabbit hole. The, you know, when when you look at how it's evolving, it, it's it's really difficult to know how to navigate it. It's even it's even difficult to know how where to find your film on what platform. I mean, it's 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 absolutely insane, and therefore it takes a level of expertise to know the landscape and it also takes a level of expertise in marketing and probably a budget in marketing to actually get the audience to uh, to watch the film and the reality is the way that uh, digital distribution is evolving is that the audience don't want to watch your film unless they're getting it for free transactional vod which basically is taken over from physical dvd is over netflix svod is under threat from avod Tubi and AVOD is the future, but that's that's only because your film is for free and you're getting a share of the of, of the advertising revenue, and um, and it means that the revenue that you're getting is is sort of getting less and less and less, which is really you know uh, complicated to you know how 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 can you you know you can't keep on making your films for less money in less time. It, it, it's it's, um, it's it's a self defeating kind of prophecy in a way. Where horror struggles here is that in order to cut through that and get some traction on digital, you need cast. Horror has always survived as the genre that doesn't require cast. But on digital, you need cast to get the traction. Plus, the digital landscape is somewhat conservative. So um, certain kinds of horror can struggle to even get accepted by the platforms because the platforms are, are, are like, oh, that's too violent or that's too bloody. And you can see that with the way that they're dealing with trailers. They, they won't allow you to use that trailer because it's not family friendly. So it, it's uh, so instead they show an, you know a sort of a, an opaque a sample scene from the film. Um, so it's getting it's getting really, really tricky. So I, I, I sort of would say, I mean, there was a zombie film that was made uh, maybe about 10 years ago that did self-distribution. Um, and it was like a zombie film in the back of a car. I can't remember the title. They went into the market with that same... Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the battery. They went into, into the market with ex exactly that same strategy. And I don't think it worked out. Because at the end of the day, you need somebody like me that knows the market. Um, you know, and 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 who is not going to rip you off? <laughs> but, but but what Julian's saying there about having some money for your marketing spend is actually really important, and a lot of, especially when you're trying to make a an independent horror film, which is probably you want absolutely zero money. You're not thinking about the end 
game, but it's actually really important because to get eyeballs on it, even if you're going into forums, even if you're putting a, I don't know, 400 quid onto Facebook advertising, again, be very careful with all that and know what you're doing before you jump into it. But it's, it can be done and you can find an audience, but you have to maybe tap into all that beyond the forums beforehand. Make sure you're talking to the right people, be in the places where horror fans love to watch films. And if you're in there talking to them way in advance, well, they might pay attention and watch your and they might actually buy it. But as uh, Julian says, they'll probably want it for free. So we have to think outside the box of new ways to do it now. Um, I think it is difficult because we're in a sort of really lazy situation now where people will have their subscriptions to things like Amazon and Netflix and Shudder um, for horror. And so, and they'll just watch what goes on that. So at the if you're trying to, you know, I'm conflicting with my own argument now, but it's just difficult if you want to market yourself. That's the reason people like Julian exist is because it's it's really hard to get the word out about your own film. I mean, you could say that the market is so bad right now that if you end it, if you do it yourself, you're going to end up with roughly the same as if you did it through a sales agent or a distributor, uh, because whatever the difference is, the sales agent or distributor is going to spend on marketing it. So, so that would be the argument. However, your film will get much more better placement and, and better marketing and better representation for your next film if you do it through the proper channels. If you do it independently, you'll, you'll just become an, you know, an even bigger outsider. At, at some stage, you have to engage with the sales and distribution industry. But also as a filmmaker, it's so important to learn that business side of what's going on so that you do understand that paperwork. But it's so true to have a team behind you selling your film rather than you, it's, it's ball breaking, it's really hard. And then you end up not making your next film because you're spending so long promoting that film and everyone heard about it a year ago. So it is that swings and roundabouts. So if you can get in with a great distributor like Julian, uh, then definitely, definitely do it. It's so important. Jake, how was your experience oh. getting your films in distribution? Well, it's a fucking conundrum, isn't it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it's as clear as mud how to get your film released. You know, I think the... The only thing that I've found is, is that my approach is I make the film that I want to make and I believe that people want to watch it. And the only way you're going to get your film seen and released by more people is if there's enough people that want to see it. So if the film's good enough, then you'll get bigger companies potentially interested in your film. If it's not good enough, then it may be that it won't ever get seen. And I think part of the problem was when I started, when I first started making movies, I think that like in one year when you had to shoot on film, uh, so Razorbase Mile was like, we shot it in uh, 1996. So I think that year, if you look at the BFI handbook, there was like about, I think, 17 British feature films being yeah. made. So I think that's one of the biggest difference. D digital is brilliant because it means that we can all make films in this room and we don't need loads of money. So everyone in, everyone in here can be a filmmaker. But when I did a panel in like 1998, you put how many filmmakers in the audience? It would be about maybe one or two because mm -hmm. it was so hard to make a movie back then. So that meant you had a, it, was an, it was an easier stab to get recognized, I think. So now I think it's the sheer volume of work coming through, which means that it's harder for that work to be seen because everyone's got something, everyone's trying to hustle, but what's, how, do you, how do you make something that stands out? And I think your job as a filmmaker, the only thing that you really want to concentrate on 
is to make your film how you want it to be. And it's kind of in the lap of the gods whether that's going to connect with people or not. But I think as a filmmaker, you want to concentrate on what you're doing and not worry too much about marketing teams and all this bullshit because that won't make your film good. That's the way I would. That's the way I, I sort of look at it. Very good. Very very interesting. I mean, when we bring on a crowdfunding project, we try and give filmmakers, artists a lot of advice on how to do marketing and it's almost like a dirty word. I mean, I, I teach marketing and same film marketing at, at some universities and some film schools and it is almost like people recoil at the word because they think it's synonymous with selling, they think it's synonymous with, with you know, kind of stafflets, flats, red braces and, and you know, that, that kind of thing. But it's very, very much about knowing your audience and understanding your audience and that's why I have a suspicion that, that the horror community might be more receptive. Um, now, obviously, there are some specific streaming platforms. Shudder is, is obviously the very big one. And the Horror Channel, which I believe is called something else as of this week. Um, and also, actually, interestingly, Mubi seem to be buying some quite a lot of... Well, I mean, Mubi are buying everything at the moment. But they seem to be buying quite a lot of elevated, in quotation marks, um, horror as well what about what, what what experience does everybody have of those kind of more specific platforms um i don't mind starting just because i recently just got my film on shadow which is cool um played at fright fest last year thanks um the the thing about that is you i guess you really you have to get it in front of Shudder and they're gonna be at festivals or you know watching stuff that people they know have recommended so unless you know someone at Shudder you have to play at a festival that someone from Shudder is gonna watch a film at um there's I don't really know if there's any other way so um apart from that that's that's how we did we played at Fright Fest and then we played at Fantastic Fest and then Sitches and then you know Shudder well, Shudder had already bought it, actually. But <laughs> but um, the point, you know, you get what I'm saying. So there's not really a way to circumvent that unless you just know people who work at Shudder. So mm. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, um, Shudder um, are a great company. I think there's three key players there. You know, it's a small company. They pick up about 43 films a year. So and they've, they're highly curated. They have a very specific agenda. The, 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 the stuff that they're looking for is, is very specific. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, I've sold, you know, I've, I've, I represent 150 films and I've, I've probably sold about five films to Shudder. So that's quite selective, isn't it? Uh, so yes, yes. So, so it's, it's like, in a way, it's like getting into Toronto Midnight Madness. It's, it's, it's a very small shelf space and you're very lucky if you get in there. Um, because if you don't get in there, then you're you're reliant on selling all those territories that Shudder are in independently, distributed by distributor, the old-fashioned way. But there are um, rivals to Shudder now. The Cynodyme uh, have bought Screenbox and they've teamed up with Bloody Disgusting, and they're looking to to compete with Shudder. You know, there's going to be more of this kind of you know evolution in the in the digital space where 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 the opportunities in horror are going to, you know, increase hopefully exponentially, you know. And uh, um, so um, I think one of the things about horror is that it, it always performed very well on physical, on, on, yes. on DVD, you know. And now with the demise of DVD, the digital space has become quite, quite sort of tricky. It, it is, is horror, does horror work for the digital space? Well, it does through a, a curated platform like Shudder, but... Um, 
But otherwise, you know, as, as I've said, you, you really do need something, some element, some ingredient in your film to attract the mainstream audience. Because horror works because it's, it has a loyal fan base, but the loyal fan base is small. It's niche. So it doesn't have a lot of value. Yeah. yeah, it has, it has, it, its value is um, reliable. It's always going to be there, but it's not much. <laughs> so as long as you make your film for not much, then it's going to work within that space. But how do you sort of break out of that towards something more mainstream? And, um, and the only way you can do it is with cast. And thinking creatively, I think stunt casting, for example, I, I met um, Anthony Waller in Cannes. Uh, last month, who made a film called Mute Witness. And he um, was in, living in Germany at the time um, and was working for an advertising company. And he had this project, Mute Witness, that he was hoping to make. And he heard that Sir Alec Guinness was attending a film festival in Munich. So he, he, he persuaded Alec Guinness to come to an underground car park <laughs> and shoot a scene for the film. <laughs> And uh, he inserted that scene into the film several years later after yep. he had made it. And this, the, you know, this was a film starring Sir Alec Guinness. So, so you, need, you need something like that yes. to, to sell your film. Stunt casting is, is definitely a good way to go. I mean, that's, that's really fascinating to hear. Yes, stunt casting, we, we know all about uh, in, in other genres. But it's interesting that it ha would potentially have that kind of cut through as well. Um, AK, you've got your shorts onto different platforms, haven't you? I'm bloody disgusting TV. Uh, <laughs> what platforms have you been working with with your shorts output and how have they been to deal with? I mean, it's it's an interesting one because I think it's kind of like moved and changed quite a bit. So, you know, it's like I'm sure everybody here has had like dealings with Alter, dealings with um, Crypt TV, you know, and they kind of go through various like states. And I think one of the problems, it's interesting what you're saying about the uh, – the um, censorship of things, because that's kind of been a big problem with uh, YouTube in terms of um, a lot of those platforms that I think people were kind of hoping would branch out into bigger things with the horror genre. And I think like as YouTube's like cut back more on violence and stuff like that, it's meant it's a lot more difficult for some of that stuff. So I think, yeah, I mean, there are platforms for shorts. Um, but I think one of the interesting things is, as you're saying about the kind of the the expansion of the digital world is shorts are kind of becoming more and more meaningless because kind of everybody can make a short and kind of everybody like the thing is like if you're on a, you know, a, a you know, a 15 year old with a phone can like get like a million views for, you know, cool shit their dog does. And, you know, I love looking at that, you know, and it's like, and you know, that's the reality is more likely to look at that than I am like, you know, somebody's like horror short that they just post on YouTube. So, you know, I think that's the weird thing is I think like micro budget shorts are kind of become some micro budget features are kind of becoming the new short films. They're kind of becoming mm -hmm. the gateway thing you need in order to actually make any kind of traction because they take some kind of like more investment than say like something like a short film does nowadays. I don't know if that answered your question. Do you want to, do you want to take over your, your than me. It's okay. No, I just want to like follow on from it, I guess, is like what I would stress is that we obviously think there's a lot of value in shorts themselves. We've made way too many of them ourselves, but I do think it's a great way to learn. But I think that what we've talked about a lot recently is this idea that you used to have to shoot on film and that meant it was hard to have to be a proof of concept type short. And that was in and of itself cost prohibitive for a lot of people. And now it's less cost prohibitive, which is great because we can practice more. But I think in terms of really putting that thought in a little bit like with animation, I would say mm -hmm. animation is really hard to put together. So 
animation shorts end up do still being that proof of concept, I guess. So it just depends on the medium. Um, and then to answer your question, yes, uh, Wretch is on Bloody Disgusting TV, The Bloody Bites, and then Alter as well. And um, But I know that with Crypt TV, for instance, they're, I think what they're doing and their business has shifted massively. And I think there's a lot that's happened due to the pandemic as well. And everything's just changed. So what we say today might not be true tomorrow. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So it's just good to keep on top of it. And I think what you were saying about just getting on top of that business acumen is really important. It's definitely something I'm looking into because you are kind of expected to do it all. Actually, Alex, can I ask, because on that front, when you have your films on these platforms, the short films, do you, is there any revenue that comes back to you or is it completely just a platform for you to get your work out there? So it really depends. And I think it's changed over the years, depending on the platform. For us specifically on one of them, there was a licensing fee where they paid us like a, a, a lump sum. And then they were like, right, this is ours. And we've got a six month sort of like thing on developing it into a feature if we want to. Um, and then with one of the other ones, it was just a collaboration um, where they were like, this is, you know, it's going to our audience. So that's sort of payment in and of itself. And yeah, we haven't been on one. I think Omeletto sort of do like a, Omeletto sort of like a bigger YouTube channel that do, do all kinds of films, including horror shorts as well. And I think they do more of the uh, pay-per-view. You get sort of 50% of it or something. I might be, yeah, I might be wrong on that. It's just my general understanding. But then, you know, five, 10 years ago, I think those structures were different. So I feel like everyone's dealt with those businesses in a different way. And I do think, you know, Alex is really right in the fact that, it, you know, these things are constantly changing. So, you know, we had Wretch go up on Alter and then we got immediately contacted by another platform that was really, oh, we wish we got in Wretch. We, you know, we, we, we love your work. We'd really like to you to pitch to make a, a short film for our platform. So, you know, we pitched them, did great. They were like, yeah, no, this is like the best pitch we've ever had. <laughs> Humble brag. Um, and, and, and we, so we were like, yeah, oh, really jazz. We're going to make this kind of like a, you know, 10 minute slasher film. Cause I, I love slasher movies. So I was like really like excited for it. Just six months went by and we emailed them be like, so when can we start production? They're like, oh, we're just getting the legal papers in part. We're just getting on this. Just kept, knocking it down the line, down the line. And then after six months, they finally just went, yeah, just like because of the pandemic, because of other things, like, you know, kind of like we're not doing this anymore. And I think that's it. I think I think it was a case of like they had this scheme and within six months, that scheme was kind of done because they realized that it didn't wasn't going to be what they thought it was going to be. And so I just think that's the landscape at the moment is you just a lot of people have ideas. Not a lot of people necessarily know exactly how they want to make it work. Jake, I'd like to ask you. So just to pick up on, on the point when heard earlier about the decline of packaged media and DVD because DVD was a thoroughgoing boom and it, it was a god's end for independent film and, and sell through but you're still in that space with with Lucas yes the thing with Nucleus films is is that we release older films like cult classics Euro horror stuff like that so you're releasing films which are generally you know we're trying to find stuff which we will then remaster and then we'll we'll make extras and but these films are films which already have an audience so and they're they're the, the buyers of these films are people that like collecting so we'll try and do like postcard sets and um as many extras as possible limited numbered editions stuff like that so the thing with physical media is that that's really becoming a kind of boutique collector's space mm -hmm. And the difficulty, that doesn't translate 
for new filmmakers though because if you're a new filmmaker with your first films right. you haven't got an audience for that so no one's going to buy a Klex's edition of your film because no one's ever seen it so if it's a film which was made in 1968 you know like an Italian giallo the people want to buy that still and if it's remastered and they've not been able to see it for like 20 30 years then that's the, that's the kind of films that we're looking for it's exactly what Arrow do it's exactly what Indicator do there's a thing in that space but I don't think that's helpful for anyone here who's a filmmaker though because maybe in maybe in sort of 30 or 40 years time people will want a Texas edition of some of your work but unfortunately you've got to do you've got to do that so physical media is alive but it's like it's like vinyl I would say yes yeah, I, th I think that's a very good observation. So you, you had on the podcast, Charles, you had Alex Ferrari, who was the whole filmtrepreneur aspect, which which was about, you know, creating that extra value. For the horror genre, is is that still a thing? I mean, you know, the merch stall at Fright Fest is, is absolutely buzzing. Is there an angle to approach it via merch or, or that kind of value? Or, or you're saying, Jake, it just wouldn't work for, for new stuff? And any opinions, anyone? I, again, what Jake was saying is absolutely right. For new stuff, it's really hard to break through. But if you've got something cool that adds to your product that that stands out, because you've got, I don't know, your DVD covers, are, it's actually a werewolf that comes out. So it sticks, I don't know, whatever it is, it's something different. And again, your distributor will probably say, no, you're not having that. But if you're doing it yourself or if you're promoting it, and that's why it's important to talk about get behind the scenes stuff. Anything you can get that can add on to your film that isn't just, hey, here's my film. Director's commentaries, cinematographer commentaries, <coughs> behind the scenes, you do need it all now. The more you can have, the better. And if it's you doing a diary every time, you know, talking about how you actually made the film, raised the money, got it distributed, that's huge. People want to know that shit. People, filmmakers will buy it because of that, especially if it says that in the review. So you really do have to think, why should anyone want to watch my film? And it's what the guys have been saying. It's your story is key. And if your story's good enough, people go, oh, okay, I'll, now I fancy that it's getting good reviews. And that's the hard bit, right? And obviously raising the money, but those those are really hard. But yeah, I think you can, there are, there are many ways to do it, but I think it's, it's important to know what you're planning to do from the beginning and having that in mind and saying, this is my setup. And if you are making a short, great. Don't expect it to go on any channels. Don't expect it to make money. You're doing it to further your career. You're doing it because you want to test stuff out. You want to see what it's doing. And sure, go make a you know micro budget feature, but don't again expect that to, to do necessarily well. Do it because you're learning and hopefully something will happen from it. I think people get very disheartened when they've made something straight away and they go, why is it not blown up? Why is it not? Well, because it takes time to do this stuff. It's not easy. You might not have had the right team. You might not be ready. Story wasn't ready. There's so many reasons, but you've got to really think about it from the beginning about why you're making this and who your audience is. My right in thinking as well that like there's a statistic out there that um, is about how a lot of people will make a first feature, but then they never make a second there's one. Issue. It's about, I think it's 85, 90% yeah. of people who don't make Yeah, so I think it's just good feature. to be aware of that in a way because then you know that it's normal to feel disheartened because you put so much energy into it. But I think mm. you're right in a way, you want to make something that you want to believe in. I think that's absolutely important, but in a way you don't want to make your best idea first, I guess, or at least you don't want to, because it's almost that element of killing your darlings, isn't it? Where you can't get too attached. Of course you still have to be attached, but it's sort of like an art of sort of being in the middle of it and mm. still doing the work 
but not getting too involved, I guess, because otherwise it can be soul crushing, I guess. I don't totally know. It can be soul crushing either way, I think, but yeah, it just is. You only need one bad review and suddenly you, you feel like absolute shit. It doesn't matter how many great ones you've had. I think that just, <laughs> it just goes with it, doesn't it? It's really part of it. Going back to sort of how things can go viral. I know it, like it's so unpredictable and nothing's guaranteed generally with marketing anyway, but there's certain examples that you can look at. Like there was the film Devil's Jew um, that I really remember, you know, people have been doing gimmicks in marketing forever. Uh, you know, William Castle doing his sort of weird tingler stuff on the seats and, and things. Um, but Devil's Jew, I remember they had this, um, like this pram uh, with this demon baby in and like it, they just left it out there outside the cinema and people would go up and be like, oh my God, there's a pram. And like look in the pram and then this baby was like, come out and get them. And that totally went viral because people were like, this is so, such a cool promo. And I think that that probably helped with the marketing. And the thing is, obviously you can't rely on stuff like that, but maybe if you have a cool idea and especially in horror, you could use gimmicks like that to try and utilize the stuff we have at the moment, the internet and the ability to get stuff out there, like just try. And if it doesn't work, like it doesn't work, but why not? Yeah, I would just say in, in terms of like, um, you know, your, your second or third film and sort of like having made your first and then finding yourself in the wilderness for several years after because you haven't been able to finance your film or nobody wanted to give you a job. Well, you know, I think the only way around that is just to keep on making films. Um, and the, the, the technology allows you to do that now. You can make films on a mobile phone. So it, it's like the, the studio system. How do you make a successful film when you make seven of them and you hope that one works? Um, so, so, you know, you, you have to go into it with the mentality of not making one film, make seven. Make seven films over 10 years or, or over 20 years. And that's really, you've, you've, you've got to look at the longer plan. Um, and then, you know, in terms of sort of, uh, you know, sort of merchandise and sales and, and getting people to want to buy into your film, the key elements really are your poster, uh, your key art um, and your trailer. It used to be key art first because with DVD, that's what people would see on the on the supermarket shelf. Now it's more the trailer. Those two elements have to be, you know, the dog's bollocks. And that's, that's really where a sales agent or a distributor will come into their realm because they're not too attached to the film as, as or so attached to the film as you are. They're more objective. They know what works in the market and they'll know what to do with your film to make it work in the market. And you might look at what they're doing and go, oh my God, that's, that, that doesn't represent my film whatsoever. It doesn't matter as long as it gets bums on seats, you know. So that's really what a, a sales agent and a distributor does. And then the the other thing is that I mean, there was one French distributor that said to me, "Oh, I watch forty films a day," and I said, "Well, how how can you watch forty films a day? Do you watch like you know?" And 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 he said, "Well, actually, I only I you know actually I only buy from my friends, right?" What what he was saying is that. He doesn't watch films that he buys. He relies on the, on the sales agent and the sales agent's eye, the sales agent's ability, ability to spot a film, to watch a film and bring it to him and say, here's the poster, here's the trailer. Give me five minutes of your time to, to digest these two elements and then buy the film. So, so there you've got three elements. You've got the poster, the trailer and the sales agent and his relationship with the distributor. Because there are so many films made, distributors do not have time to watch them. It's just content. Well, I will say from the, um, the promo and the merch and the PR side of things is 
not just for FryFest, although uh, I've just selected the final feature for FryFest today, in fact. And then in about two weeks' time, I'll be emailing all of the directors and producers and blah, 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 and saying, look, if you want to make a splash at the festival, send us like 600 T-shirts to put in the goodie bag or a badge if you can't afford that or postcards or whatever. Just send something and sell it, not just to our audience, but to the world because lots of folks will be wearing your T-shirt if your short film or feature get selected in not just FryFest, any bloody festival. Promote, promote, promote. Make stuff, be there, be present, be present on Twitter, on Facebook. Promote your screening. If I select your film, Jake, this year, or maybe yours, Alex, who knows whether these two will be in the festival. But I, I will say to them, get on Twitter, get on Facebook, get on Instagram, promote your festival, promote the screening, promote yourself, and make a badge, make a t-shirt, make a few t-shirts, give, make a load. Do you know what I mean? Retaliators that we world premiered last year, they sent us like 2,000 t-shirts, 2,000 caps, 2,000 of everything to give away to everybody going into that audience. And of course, the film then got bought off the back of the people going, I've, won, I've got my retaliator shirt and I've got my, you know, it makes a fucking difference. <laughs> and badges, oh my God, here comes hell. One of my favorite low budget British black and white we did the world premiere in Glasgow with Jack. He made a couple of hundred badges, which I still wear on my jacket if it wasn't so bloody hot in here. By the way, what time are we going to finish? We'll take some questions for you guys in a minute. Um, please, all go and get us a fucking pint. Um, so um, just if you can't afford 2,000 caps, blah, 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 do it on the, the social media or make a couple of hundred badges. You made badges for your world premiere at FryFest last year. And <laughs> so, nice. look, guerrilla marketing costs either nothing or very little, but just fucking do it, man. I, I was going to say as well, I picked up a sticker at FryFest last year for crabs and it's on my laptop. Crabs. And I look yeah. at it all the time and I'm like, it's great logo, it's great everything. It just reminds you of everything it's great and it's so important i got a t-shirt through as a crowdfunder i put some money i didn't know them but i just liked what they had what they were talking about with their film and they sent me it, it booked a t-shirt it was t but this t-shirt was fucking ace i i thought oh, i might be wearing tonight but it is one of those things that you go i'll probably wear that at other festivals or uh, all this stuff retaliate stuff people wear it forever if it's cool yeah. so again make sure when you it's not just hey it's just your logo your name or whatever on it it's actually make something that's cool yeah, it comes hell. yeah here comes hell well it's something that makes a difference it's so important well and and like on that note too it was like uh, even fright fest last year our uh, we were part of a anthology feature that was shot during the pandemic and our producer just like called us up like a week beforehand was like can you get like a bunch of people together to wear hazmat suits and hand out flyers in front of fright fest and so if you saw someone in a hazmat suit outside fright fest last year it was uh it was this one right here <laughs> very sweaty you did I, yeah <laughs> very sweaty. just want to add add something to this if you don't have a budget and you therefore don't have a cast then what do you need in 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 your ingredients in your project to to to, to <laughs> find an audience yeah. i would say there's two things one is possibly uh, sensationalism and for example i represented a film 10 years ago called a serbian film the whole world the whole film and the whole world was talking about that film i didn't need to sell it it sold itself right and then on the other hand is something that is zeitgeisty you know so coming up with a seance online during lockdown host was very zeitgeisty 
you know so so um you know the, 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 it, that's difficult because it's timing you'll you, you know you'll come up with an idea and three years later it won't be so zeitgeisty when it gets released but um that those are two things that you can have ingredients you can have in your film where you don't have a budget or you don't have a cast well, that's definitely true with the serbian film because actually that killed the idea of sensationalism i think <laughs> it was too it was too much and nobody did anything that topped that ever again <laughs> so yeah may, maybe don't do that <laughs> well he's hasn't made a film since so <laughs> Thank God for that. So this is this is fantastic. And I mean, you know, horror has always had that kind of carnival showmanship. What else can can we kind of do uh, as as filmmakers to to get it out there and get people aware and get people talking? And I, you know, I guess that's a question for everybody. I'm going to open to the floor in a second. How can we animate people who love horror film? People who love the genre. How can we find them? How can we? contact them how can we engage them how can we animate them well there's plenty of horror channels of facebook uh, horror fan pages there's so many that you can tap into and do it now if you're making a horror film get involved now start commenting on people who are saying what their favorite films are so important reddit's still a real thing and it's still a place where you can talk to like-minded people festivals so important to chat there and uh, there, there are so many but you've got to do the work that's yeah. the hard bit. You've got to put the time and effort in to actually do, no one else will do it for you. Even if you did get Jinga Films with Julian or you got another sales distributor, don't expect them to do everything. You still should be thinking you haven't got one. You need to be doing everything. If you can afford a PR company, 100%. Again, it's money, it's really hard. But you've got to think, how can I get the word out about my film? And you've just got to think, watch what other people have done. Uh, and see how they did theirs. Why were they a success? Why was Host a success? Why was Blair Witch a success? They had the website. Okay, and they were clever with it. Don't know, you've got to think outside the box. And it's really hard. None of us have necessarily succeeded massively at that. It's really difficult. So maybe you can. Maybe you can. I think collaboration helps. Um, I think that obviously film is very collaborative in general, but really just like getting out there and like you were saying, networking and stuff like that. It sounds so cheesy, like every <coughs> industry you need to do networking but you really do and then you meet people who are who maybe can help you with your project or whatever vice versa you can help them and then things like that happen and that's never going to happen if you don't go out and meet people so going to stuff like fright fest i guess <laughs> it's so important if you mention your film to filmmaker at fright fest they'll go oh yeah i want to see that and i tell you what word of mouth is one of the biggest tools in your toolbox word of mouth is massive it, it is you know you fright fest or whichever festival you're at someone says oh that's got a showing so and so i saw it last week there's all those type of things that's so important to get word out and keep doing that forever you've got to keep thinking outside the box one I, I can definitely attest that um you know in my short and minimal amount of success um is that it's like one of the things that I really learned is that I had this mentality that I refer to as the underpants gnome mentality. Whereas like, I don't know if anyone's ever seen South Park with the underpants gnomes, but they have the whole plan system of like, first we steal the underpants, then there's step two, then we make profit. And I think that was my problem is I was like, okay, I'm gonna make the film and then, you know, 
it's going to be a success at some point. You know, it'll just like, and you, you don't think, you don't think like, oh, I'll just stick it up on YouTube and then everyone will like watch it. And then you look at it the next day and it has 10 views and you're like, wait, why has nobody, why, why hasn't this gone viral? And it's, you know, it, it, it is like, it took, it took me way too long to realize that you have to go to events. You have to meet people. You have to talk to people. You have to tell them why your film is interesting, why you should care, why you should. And then people will, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll check out your film. I mean, especially it really helps if your film is four minutes and 20 seconds. And then you could be like, <laughs> it won't, it won't take you that long. Just, but you know, but that's, that's the thing is like, I think like I learned way too late that networking is a big, big part of this. So that would be the big thing is even though like I'm probably, we are the least successful people here um, on this panel. I would say that that would be the one piece of advice I could definitely give people. I think from the horror perspective, if you're, if you want to make horror films and you, I'm assuming a lot of you guys want to make horror movies and do. The good thing is, is that the horror community is there. It exists. It's not a community that you have to build yourself. It's something you can tap into from Fright Fest to through to like online forums. Like, you know, even if you just go to like Arrow Video or or my page, Nicholas Films, you've got people talking about horror films. The, the, the community is there. So you've already got it. I mean, it's a Google search away. So it's not, it's, there's no mystery about how to get to talk to people. So I think... The, the good thing is is that it's there. And the thing about, like Julian said, about trying to tap into a zeitgeist, I don't think that's really possible because no one knows what the zeitgeist is. You know, if you're lucky enough to do with something that... Ch Julian, yeah, well, if... But once again, as a, as a filmmaker, he's not tapping into the zeitgeist for every film he does. So I think the thing is, is that... I, I interviewed the the creators of the Blair Witch Project on the, for the video the UK video release, and one of the, and they were sh as shell shocked and surprised that it was a big hit as anybody else. They basically couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that it was being marketed that this this film that they shot for essentially twelve thousand dollars on video with actors shooting, getting the actors to even shoot the thing. You know, they couldn't believe that that had become a success. So they were. It's not they did they, they didn't plan it. They they didn't plan having websites and stuff like that. But what they did plan is that they worked out a really good mythology for their story, and that's what everyone else could tap into. So. That's the thing. You've got to get. That's, that's the shit. You've got to get together, and then other people can help you do websites and posters and all the rest of it. So, like I say, I always go back to just creating the best thing that you can to start off with. That's fair. Like, do something that inspires others, like whether to help you or just inspire in general. Yeah. I definitely get that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think it is possible to tap into the zeitgeist. I think hosts and <laughs> and Howard's film uh, uh, Lockdown ha Hauntings were examples of two filmmakers who suddenly find themselves out of work for two years. We thought, how how do I deal with this situation? You know, um, let's make a film about you know sort of being in lockdown and being haunted. I mean, they, 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 there's two of them. There's probably like several of them. They, they, you know, I I sort of lot a lot of lockdown films that came in. I thought, oh my god, not another lockdown film. Um, but those to cut through and I think the filmmakers jumped on the opportunity that they realized that the whole world was going through this and therefore if they came up with an idea in that context they could make it work like I suppose so but then you know on the other hand you, you can get a film like Colin's 50 pound zombie film which uh, every UK distributor turned down until the sales agent took it to Cannes during austerity 
And somebody jumped on the idea that this was an austerity zombie film, <laughs> you know, and and all the national newspapers covered it. And supposedly it was made for 50 quid. It actually wasn't. But what a good hype. It yeah. wasn't made for much more than that, maybe £56.80 or something. Yeah. But no, no, great movie. I think we showed it back in the day. Yeah. Oh, good hype. That's a great little catch-all. Yeah. It, it was the first zombie film made for 50 quid. But of course it wasn't made for fucking 50 quid. Not even a short is made for 50 quid yeah. unless you're going to pull in all your mates which most people do for shorts and blah 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 but good hype good, good little well, catchment angle Kaleidoscope turned it down three times until they, they came back from Cannes and opened up every national newspaper and there was a double page spread about this austerity 50 pound zombie film and then they were like oh you know all the marketing's been done for us we'll buy the film yeah. so it's like you, you couldn't have predicted that it, it, it just it just it, that's timing but but uh, Mark V. Price there, yeah. He, he, I think, I suppose the important thing as well is money. Where do we get the money? Like Mark's film there made for whatever, we say 50 quid. There we go, 57 pound. <laughs> but it's true, where do we find the money? I suppose that's the most important thing. Well, sort of one of the, we can all potentially write a script, we can all shoot one, but where do we find the money? And that's, you know, one of the hardest bits about it, but it's doable. We've all done it. We've done it here. You can find the money. You can do it. Crowdfunding is a is an actual way to go these days. Um, and then, like they were saying before, cast. Julian was saying, if you can get a decent cast member, you can maybe get a sales estimates, or maybe you'll find an investor that way because you've got a cast member. But maybe other people will talk about money as well. But. Yes, I mean, this evening, the way this evening seems to have panned out, such a depth of knowledge and such a fantastic panel and such a large panel, uh, we haven't even really touched on funding i'm equally conscious that it's really warm in here and i don't want this to <laughs> yes. necessarily turn into one of ah i don't want this to turn to one of giles's events that goes on for about 14 hours it's like shower or something um so what i'm gonna do is i'll open this up first of all i'm gonna say if, if everybody's enjoyed it we, we'll solicit feedback afterwards and we might try and make this like a regular thing for people working in the genre space and filmmakers and just to get together and, and have a bit of that festival vibe so maybe we'll do something very very specific on financing coming down the line but in order to get everybody you know out of here and rehydrated let's let's go to the floor for some questions okay so we've, we've got a, a roving mic and a roving mica hello can you hear me um yes having made my uh, very own rubber puppet alien evil aliens uh, film recently and it's shown on the good lad festival circuit my question really is, is there space for weird niche films still? It feels like on streaming services, it's kind of the same thing over and over. Do we think there's room for that niche? Two words, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The sadness. Yes. The sadness yes. is a good example, I think. I, I, I think. Are you talking short or feature? It's a short at the moment, but we want to turn it into a feature. Short. So I watched a short last night, which was the weirdest, most brilliant thing I've ever seen. Taken them years to make. It's really strange, foul footage mixed with everything, everything, everything. Weirdest thing I've ever seen. I emailed them last night. I said, it's in for Fright Fest. It's going to play on the IMAX end of story weird is good Fantastic. but make it good <laughs> but but i think the, to answer your question as well quick really briefly the thing is is to to not 
keep on rerunning what everyone else has done. So you've got to kind of come in at an angle where you're trying to. You're, obviously, you love gore, splatter, horror, etc. But you, how are you? What lens are you going to put that through? Because the thing with Evil Aliens, it was basically it's like how could I? What what could I add to doing a kind of Evil Deadish kind of idea with a different kind of that aren't, that aren't zombies or undead? So it was the alien thing which made that kind of interesting, and the fact that they were evil, so they had no moral fiber at all. So therefore, there was no there was no deep kind of connection with that but then it was about this you know like a team of, of uh, journalists basically they had, they had arrived on the island because they they didn't believe in anything and they were going to make up a story anyway so what happens to them is even worse than they can make up so that was the angle i came in it so i think you just need to look for something where your story isn't just a rerun of going to a cabin in the woods and i think that's because we've seen that story too many times yeah i'd say lots of things actually are doing the same thing over and over again because that the streaming services for example need content and it's only when they get something original they would totally buy that as well but they're just not getting it so if you've got something original totally go and make it i'm sure it will sell just as well i'm sure people want good original stuff right yeah totally agree people are always looking for new stuff i don't think there's ever going to be a, you know there's so much content right now but i don't think that matters if, if yours is good it will get seen people don't mind people want to see I want to see a puppet movie. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think that there is space for it. I, I think everyone here is saying the same thing. I think there is space. I mean, Julia, maybe you've got an opinion here because obviously you get sent a lot of films a lot. Is there too much? Uh, careful. Uh, you know, it, it would be difficult to sell a puppet film to the horror market. So... Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. That's that's an example. It's just, it, 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 it's just the distributors are looking for reasons to say no. And when they, you know, it's, it, it's like animation within the horror mar market. Who's the audience? You think of puppets are, are really for, for kids. And the, and the horror market is young adult and older. But it's, it's, it's immediately a reason for a distributor to say no. But the only way to cut through that, I mean, all these rules are there to be broken. The only way to cut through is to do something like a Peter Jackson, an early Peter Jackson film or an early Sam Raimi film where it's so out to lunch, you know, that, that everybody just goes, this has to be seen. Like, what's the Welsh guy that, um, that Chuck, Chuck Steele stuff? Yeah, I, I, I mean, he's, he's got a market. So, yes, I mean, I think that um, it, it's doable if you do it the right way. Just, a, uh, I've got a question about a couple of things. I just want to say that I went and saw Isolation because I met Alex in her hazmat suit. Yeah, so it's worth doing. Also, Jake, the tour has had over 300,000 views on YouTube. I've made about $100 off of it. There's not a lot of money. Yeah, in no, it's, which is tough for filmmakers. Yeah. I really feel for that. So for me, the question here for you guys is partly from an experience I had when I showed the tour at Screenfest. I met a producer at the bar. We started talking. He saw the tour. He liked it. He said to me, what's your next idea? I didn't know. I said, oh, the tour is a feature. He said, pitch it to me. I didn't have anything. So where would you say in terms of advice for if you've made something, you're going onto the market, you're going into the festival circuit, always having something in your back pocket in case you have that conversation? A hundred percent. Yeah, I'd say have, I mean, I don't know about other filmmakers here, but there must be 10 projects I'm working on right now. And there's always something that's leading the charge. But then if you're speaking to a certain distributor and they're you, like horror, for instance, you're going, cool. I've got this horror or there's this I'm working on. I don't know. I think it's really important because they, they were interested in you and they were saying, cool, I want to know what's next. 
And therefore you've got to be ready to go, I've got this. I think it's really important to have stuff, whether it's real or not, or you can make it up on the spot. I don't think it matters. I think you just have to have, they're interested in you. That's the, you've won. Do you know what I mean? That's where you're winning now. They go, great, you can now send an email mm. the next week and say, here's my script, here's my deck pitch, whatever you do. I think it's really important, my side. Bro, I, I, I really feel you because like I had the exact same situation where I uh, had, um, Retch was going around and we got like a bunch of emails through from people going like, oh, loved Retch, what, what's, the, what's the feature version of that? And I was like, I didn't think, it's just like, it's like a fun ride with a gag at the end. I didn't really think about like, how, how do you make that into a film? And so, you know, it was that painful thing of like, I, I, I tried to throw together a concept. I went to a meeting with uh, Gunpowder Sky in LA and they just sat there and I went like, this doesn't feel like the film at all. And I was just kind of like, well, it's because I like jerry rigged it. Basically, I tried to like <laughs> kind of like come up with something that technically is wretched, but really isn't. And it's just like, so it's like, so that's been my ethos from now on is like, like I need to be ready. So it's like, you know, I have, I have, you want, you want to yeah, take over from me. Yeah. A lot of writing happened over the pandemic. Um, so now we have, you know, a pitch, but basically seven pitch decks and also spec scripts are super important. I know you don't necessarily want to write, but as soon as you start talking about features, they're going to be like, yeah, well, a deck might not be quite enough. We want to know what your writing style is like in a longer form. Mm -hmm. So even if you're just doing one to show like what you're all about, that's something we've definitely learned, I think. And we wish we'd known it sooner. So, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's it. It's like, and you know, for me out of it, and this is like me, like completely potentially bullshitting here, but you know, but I'm, I'm also like trying to look at it from the standpoint of like, okay, this is my film that like this, like, you know, budgeted like 5 million. This is a film that I could make for like 200 grand. This is a film. This is more like, this is my slasher film. This is my more kind of horror comedy. I really want to make a film about horror, a horror film set at Thanksgiving. Cause it's just really not been covered enough. Um, but you know, it's so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of it is like, we are like trying as much as we are like putting our sweat, blood and tears into trying to make this really super low budget feature, uh, with all the passion and gumption and duct tape we can. It's like a case of at the same time is I'm like, okay, what's the next step? Are we going to be ready when somebody likes this film for us to be able to say, okay, well, we have this. Don't like that. What about this? Don't like that. What about this? Yeah, maybe, you know, that's, that's our strategy at the moment. Maybe. Yeah, we can work we with can maybe. Work with maybe. Oh, the, the one thing that you'll learn when you get your films into film festivals is that whenever you do a Q&A, mm -hmm. Paul, whoever's doing the Q&A, the question will always come up, what's your next project? So basically it's good to have something in mind that you want to do for that. But bear in mind though, whatever your next project is, even if it's a low budget thing or a big budget thing it's going to take at least a year or so of your life so make sure you like the idea don't be pitching something that is shit <laughs> all my ideas are golden <laughs> Good, obviously Rich, the feature. Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, it's a really good idea. It's just not a good idea for a wretch feature. <laughs> Don't be afraid to have different budgets. You know, it depends who you're talking to. You can make this for 20 quid. You can make this for 200 grand. You can make it for 2 mil. Of course you could. It's your filmmakers. You have to do think like that. But yeah, have those in the back of your mind, depending on who you're talking to. Know, try to know who you're talking to, what films they've made at certain budgets levels so that you can come in at the same price. So yeah, don't price yourself out or too low. It's really important because they will ask you. So it's these kind of things you do need to be ahead of the game about. Yeah, so you, you never know when an opportunity is going to come your way. And you better make damn sure that when it does come your way, you're ready because there'll be another thousand filmmakers who are competing for that opportunity. So you've got to be, um, you've got to have a project that is basically ready to be greenlit. 
And that means a lot of development, you know, 10 drafts or whatever. Um, so it's basically ready to roll. This happened to me two years ago, just before lockdown. Uh, I had a random email from India, and it was the biggest Indian broadcaster, ZTV. And they said, we want to make th three horror films in Eastern Europe for uh, a, a million pounds each, or a million do dollars each. Have you got anything? I dug, <laughs> I dug a script out of my bottom drawer that I'd had for 10 years, and I sent it to them. And, and the reason why I sent that one was because it was the most developed. It was ready to go. I had like 10 other projects that were sort of neither here nor there. But that was the one that I thought, well, this, this is ready to go. So um, two weeks later, they arranged a meeting with me in London. And uh, a month or two later, I was in Tbilisi, Georgia, shooting the film. So, you know, that's, that's really, they say being a soldier is boring because you never go to war. Fil filmmaking is similar in the sense that you spend 90% of your, your time developing and hustling and, 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 and you know, very small amount of your time actually making films. Hi. Um, so I have a unique predicament and I'm hoping that one of you will have insight, which is I currently have a fairly substantial platform online. So I have a TikTok account with about 170,000 followers and a YouTube channel as well. And I'm currently in post-production on a horror project that could either be a 20-minute short or 10 two-ish minute episodes. And I'm not really sure what to do with it because the audience I've cultivated elsewhere is um, educational content that's pretty child-friendly. So suddenly being like, here, kids, <laughs> seems like the wrong move along with sort of community guidelines, violations, et cetera. Um, but I think it is something that's fairly zeitgeisty. It's horror with a twist. Basically, the premise is this young woman commits suicide, as one does. And instead of dying, she gets possessed by a demon. And then the twist is the demon makes every aspect of her life better. So instead of it being a negative thing, like we've got to exercise the demon, she gets like a promotion at work because she's more assertive now. And she gets catcalled one night and that never happens again because she just kills the guy. And it's kind of a sort of it's a twist on some genre pitfalls. And I'm not sure what to do with it. And I'd appreciate your advice. Is this a live action? Yeah. So it's in post-production now getting um, all the VFX and stuff. I'd, I'd probably look at pitching it to... Uh, to pitching it to companies like Shudder and, and Screenbox. Shudder and Screenbox? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, they are... They're, I mean, SVOD is effectively television online, you know, so they're, they're going to be wanting more episodic. So that, that might be a direction that they would be looking to go in. Are you saying that your um, online base is kids stuff? It's kind of, well, no, it's ages like 13 and up, but it's quite upbeat and That's happy. Horror. Yeah, I, it's just, it's like, it's a lot of like. Eight and up. It's a lot of puberty stuff that I do. So the TikTok channel is called Callahan's Questions and anyone can send me an anonymous question. And it's a lot of like, is my body normal? And the answer is either, yeah, you're fine. Or, oh God, see a doctor. <laughs> I guess maybe you can't use your platform for that then. It no, it doesn't seem like the right, which maybe is a it's shame. Just, like, like completely yeah not on not helpful really i guess i don't know so just back back down to as if you had no, no platform <laughs> i would say that if you want to learn how sierra got to that many tiktok subscribers you can find again a, a fantastic seminar on our youtube channel uh, which you recorded for us so Come have a could, look at that. You could start a horror TikTok and then tell all your followers like if you like horror come over to my TikTok yeah hi so suggestions on if you've got 
a successful short. You've written a feature. You got your treatment. There's a tiny bit of buzz. Like the, the short's played many festivals, won festivals. What's your advice on that when you've sort of got a package ready to go, but you don't have an agent? Like what's the sort of steps? And you've done everything that's probably been advised anyway. So I don't know, is there any pearls of wisdom? I think uh, places like IMDb are perfect these days to seek out the right producer for you. And by getting the team around you will really help. You've got your short, right? It's it's out. You've now written the feature. That's correct. Is that so right? What and you're ready. your short? What was your short? Is it? What is um, it? Like you want to know what it's about? No, what's, what's it, it called? called? Oh, it's called The Jet. The Jet. Eject. 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 Well, so where's it played? Where, where have you screened? Uh, it's played at Sidges. It's great. It was on Amaletto as well, but it's the whole, you know, many filmmakers are probably facing the same thing. It's getting a producer mm. because most producers probably what have like 10 or 15 films on their slates and they follow the one that really get, you know, launches. So I've had it so many times where you're developing it with a producer, but they're not really bringing anything. You do the things applying to BFI or all the other schemes but doesn't go anywhere because they don't know any so private investors. So you sound a bit disillusioned. No, I've pretty much done everything. No, no, but I mean, you sound disillusioned with, you know, when you're saying I've done the short, yeah. it's done really well, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you sound a bit like, I don't know, upset or... Oh, no, I think it's because I've been through it quite a lot. So what I'm doing now is while trying to still do that, I'm, you know, uh, developing my own micro feature, trying to get that. So, off what the have, where, where have you got that? Have you got? Is it script? Uh, yeah. So, second draft treatment got a little bit of funding of around like ten k. So, it's basically getting to the next level. While like Giles, I'll have many other things going on in the background. I've just finished my new short, and that's going to festivals. But I've said to myself, "That's thank you." I've said to myself, "That's the last short I'm doing because I've done a lot of shorts." And yeah, but shorts are shorts are a great. Oh, absolutely! Ground. They've opened um, a few. My doors. suggestion to you would be make a feature and make it fucking good. That's what I'm trying to do. But don't make it shit. No, that's <laughs> what I'm. That's what I'm right. trying to do. But there's only so much you can do when you feel like you're by yourself. And like I say, producers, I've had on board. And because they've had 10 or 15 other projects, they'll follow the one that's taken off. And it can, it can be really lonely. There's no question about oh, it. When you're that person trying to do everything, I was there, it's really lonely. I think you've just got to kiss enough frogs. Yes. As you go through with these producers, it is. It's finding like, say, if they go off for another project, cool, be, be all right to go, cool, you go off and do that. I'm going to find another producer right now or stick with them because eventually it might come back to you. But you, there's only you can make that choice. But then make sure you're choosing the right producer or the right team because technically you're producing as well. So make sure that they really believe in the project. They give us, try and give as much as shit as you do, but also they, they have delivered before. A lot of producers do say they've delivered and they haven't. So just do your homework. It's IMDb, it's there, it's real. Yeah. It yeah. says whether they've actually put a film out rather than them just talking shit. It sounds to me like you're doing the right thing by having a plan A, plan B, and it might be that you make your plan B first, yeah. you know? Um, what's What would you say the budget of your plan A is? Um, is that, uh, oh yeah, it would, the reason why I'm going to do the micro feature is because the plan A require 
a slightly larger budget. Nothing like too huge, but something that I couldn't get because I haven't made. Because I haven't done the first feature yet. So yeah. the idea of writing the micro budget is, oh, I could try and do this for like maybe 50 to 100K. And because my shorts have done quite well, I can hopefully attract that. But the 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 eject feature, for example, I'd imagine would be past a million, whereas the micro feature may be between 50 and 100K. But that's obviously pulling in a lot of favors, maybe people working for free as on the shorts, but features obviously demanding a lot more because it's three weeks as opposed to two days yeah you know yeah because i mean i i would struggle to raise a million for a for a horror feature in today's mar market you know um and that's nine nine features down the road so it, it, it'd be good to focus on your your micro and do that and just find a way to to get it done by any means necessary my question is about casting um i wonder how you cast your films do you usually use the big platforms or do you is it all about networking do you find people on like through festivals as well yeah i think everyone's a bit different i'll be completely open and honest about this because i don't think there's anything yeah it's the only way to be basically with me i come from an acting background originally so i knew a lot of people through drama school so we have cast a lot of people that we know are reliable and just can get to that <laughs> get to that other level but yes but then but then you do also meet people through networking so i think it is really important to do that and then it's about knowing people through other people that have been recommended like miss may kelly in the back hi <laughs> you waved um but but you know there's there's all kinds of ways so you know i do think I think most of the time people want to work with people who are nice people. And if you're a nice person, you will find just, you know, you do have to put yourself out there a little bit, absolutely, but it pays off. And yeah, and people will come back and bring you back on for the next and the bigger project. That's what they should do anyway, in my opinion. I think that's it. I think, you know, it, it's like, I think it pays a lot to familiarize yourself a lot with um, the filmmaking process and to like get more involved than to just like be like I just want to show up say my lines and leave if you if you sort of like start to like talk to filmmakers meet filmmakers go to networking events and kind of like take an interest in the whole process beyond just simply you know being a cog in the wheel um, I think you know you'll find there's a lot of people who are very amenable to wanting people who will collaborate with them you know rather than just simply somebody they're just casting out of off of a off of website is your question on casting based on trying to cast if you haven't got any money or is it a more bigger thing no more from the actor's side so i'm an actor but i'm also i also want to make my own films but i feel like i i want to network more but i feel like yeah it's always a yeah well i mean networking is the best thing the other thing is yeah. do you have an agent Not yeah so if you can get an agent they'll put you up for casting so trying to get a decent agent means you have to have a body of work so but also get to know casting directors i mean if you want to really get noticed you need to start being seen by people that cast and are paying actors rather than just being you know just being because the problem is when we do we do know but when we're doing casting calls for different movies well i've just done an anthology feature film one of the other directors is here andy edwards at the back now oh, yes andy. now on this film it's a it's a low budget film um so we didn't have any money for a casting director so we put all of the casting details out online to various different platforms didn't we andy and we got a huge response from people but when we actually held the actual 
casting day as well, though, it was interesting because that we were seeing people, actors that we didn't know, but they'd sent self-tapes through. So the thing is, get good at doing self-tapes and get, get, get confident and really get... So, you know, that's... In fact, it all seems to be about self-taping now, and it wasn't in the past. You'd normally get people to come in, but now you get the self-tape and then you ask somebody to come in. So I think that it's really just pursue that, get good at self-taping, and then try and land an agent. I think that's the way to go forward in where you want to go. If, if you don't mind me saying, though, the agent situation is kind of a chicken egg, and I definitely feel that in a big way. So it's like, yes, that would be amazing, but you do need to have the work before. So what I would say that... I think would potentially be a good approach is if you see films at a festival or you see films online, which there's loads of them, again, Omeletto, those kind of things. If you see a film that you really like, look up the people that made the film, write to them, because that's the kind of film you want to be in anyway, right? So then you're almost like guaranteeing potentially being in that kind of film. So it might not work out immediately, but they'll remember your enthusiasm, definitely. Yeah. I, uh, just a little add on to that is, is, is uh, don't just write someone and go, hi, I'm an actress. Would you like to cast me in something? Because <laughs> the answer is always no. I would go to the film schools mm -hmm. and um, uh, basically you know, put, put yourself up with, with a picture and a, and a showreel and just so you're available to work on any student films. And that way you'll, you'll, you'll meet future directors who you know, and form relationships and you'll get a, a material for a showreel. So my question is about first time filmmaking, maybe first feature, second feature. Um, and what the panel is fantastic array of people. We have uh, PR marketing, distribution, sales, filmmakers. These are all very big pillars of making a feature film and getting the ball rolling for a feature film. Um, getting your uh, marketing, getting your distribution, getting your funding beforehand, uh, chicken and egg, which one comes first and how do you cultivate an audience to sell to and all that jazz, all that jazz. What could all of us, filmmakers, directors, writers, producers, be doing when we are trying to make these first features, second features? How can we be maintaining this infrastructure of these conversations between all of those departments to make sure that we don't end up with, oh, I just made a feature, what do I do now? Well, we gotta market it. Well, I wish I knew that when I was making it so I can do all of the behind the scenes. Like what should we all be doing to have these conversations, to have all these thoughts uh, for the future, for that first feature, for the second future? Start listening from the very, very beginning to the Filmmakers podcast. <laughs> because That is true. It's all on there, I shit you not. Mm. Agreed. But there are other ways too. Um, <laughs> but thank you, Peter. Yeah, you can, like I say, you've, you've, you've these people tonight, we've, you've, we don't know your name, but it is, Raddy. Raddy. Yes. Raddy. Yes. Hey, buddy. Yes, hi. Um, Twitter, right? You do now. Yes. Right, Twitter, there we go. Yeah. There's the perfect example of like, I, I've not met you before, but I know you from Twitter. You constantly retweet my stuff. Yes. I'm like, okay. But, that, but do you know what I mean? That's, that's how, yes. it's nice. And the same here, you've met this panel tonight now. They've, it's, you can now introduce yourself. You might be able to find their emails online, etc. I mean, maybe not, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're nice enough and you write a really good email, not, hey, cast me, hey, work with me, hey, whatever, and it's about them, they might respond in a nice way and suddenly you've got a great connection. So when you're filming is coming out you need some advice this is a perfect way to do it but we've talked tonight importantly about networking and there's so many other filmmakers in the room if you get cards with everyone you get contacts with everyone you can now help each other uh, did anyone do that before who did this and then suddenly you've got that network and that's so important for advice and help so it's just you know we're in a more connected time than ever so it shouldn't be uh, it should be easier than ever 
to talk to people. And I think that lots of people, you can just reach out and email them. And most people are nice, I think. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, yeah. I haven't lived long enough. <laughs> but, well, I mean, um, <laughs> it, it, it's totally true. I mean, it's, it's crazy because I, I genuinely spent years like, looking at like Fright Fest as like, it's like this big, you know, thing. And then, you know, thinking like, oh, I can't just like talk to the people who run Fright Fest. That's, that's crazy. And then, you know, I literally, a uh, year ago, my producer kind of just said to me, oh, do you have a contact at Fright Fest? I was like, not really. And I was like, so I met, emailed someone and they said, oh, here's Paul's email. I sent Paul and I sent Paul, you know, the film. And it was like, and, you know, and, and that and Paul said, I'll, you know, I'm not the person who chooses this, but I'll, you know, I'll get somebody to take a look at it. He and, lied. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in an ideal world, you would want to get a sales agent involved with your project um, before you make it. But in reality, most sales agents don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. for that kind of engagement with the filmmaker. Um, sales agents are more focused on completed films because and unless it's completed, it's it's not tangible, you know. So by attending events like this, you know, is, is if, if, if you came to Cannes to try and see me, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't get a chance because I'm too busy meeting distributors. Whereas at an event like this, it's an opportunity. And that's, you know, so I, I, I would do as much of this kind of stuff as you can. Mm. But also, Julian's saying that if you even put it in front of him, he might not have time to look at it now or sort of say, I'll attach. But the fact that he might go in six months' time or three months, you keep giving him updates, he'll remember the film and go, all right, I better watch the trailer now, right? But it, people often don't. Yeah, I've, I do loads of these events. We do them all the time. The amount of people who don't respond or follow you or even send an email is incredible. It's like, why not do it? I don't respond to my mother, you know, right. and, uh, right. and yeah, it's you like, because like I, I literally, I don't have time. So <laughs> it's, no, <laughs> she's, no, a, it's, 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 she's a filmmaker it's, as well. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's just how it is. I mean, it's, 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 uh, so don't, so don't take offense if you don't yeah. get a response. Yeah. There, there's a guy at the moment who is very politely and patiently every six months reminds me that he's still there waiting for a response and eventually you'll get one, you know, yeah. so it's, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, <laughs> assistance. Ab absolutely correct. And I, I, I think all the best answers to life can be found in the bar. Oh. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just going to add. I mean, we, we are going to wrap this up in a second, but I'm just going to add. Simply reaching out to people if you don't know them. I mean, I, I got to know this guy about three or four years ago simply because I sent him an email. I said, love your podcast. This is what we're doing. And we're friends now. Um, I, I emailed, <laughs> you know, I emailed Paul and Paul was enthused and, and brought the rest of this panel on. I also, you know, the I have some fantastic names, which I'm not going to drop, but hopefully we'll lock them in. But people who I approached for this panel who said, yes, love to do it, but can't do it. So hopefully, the, you know, the oh, next so one is, is going to... So we're second choice. So, yeah, I've just completed my first feature called Murder Ballads. Um, thank you. Um, um, we still have one key scene to film and it's, I wonder if the panel had any advice on how to get a named actor involved. We've written it specifically in such a way that we were planning to film the entire film first and then go after a named actor afterwards who were peppering throughout the film. So I was just wondering if anyone had any advice on how to approach and get past agents uh, to get to that named actor. I don't think it's as hard as you might think, actually, to get hold of named actors. I don't know what you... <laughs> look but honestly it doesn't have to just try so like first i would say just try and like send them what you've done and your idea and like i think that it's so much easier especially like i was saying earlier 
how connected the world is, it's so much easier to get hold of people who you might think you would never have spoke to in your life before. And they just, you'd be surprised the amount of people who are like, oh yeah, I really want to be involved, honestly. It's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I, I found myself sat at a table once with Anthony Hopkins. He actually, f I, I gave him my phone number. He phoned my mother the, the, <laughs> the next day. She answered? Uh, and I wasn't there, right? And, and, my, and my mom said, Anthony Perkins phoned. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was thinking, who? And it just so happened that Anthony Hopkins' mother lived 20 doors up from where my parents live. So um, I, I had a script um, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll take it up to his mother's. So I did and I had tea with his mother and I left the script there. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a, a message from his agent Anthony would much prefer it if you dealt with him through his agent. <laughs> right. So, but in answer to your question, I suppose try and find somebody that's worked with that actor in the past that you know or that you have some kind of connection with, um, and and see if it's possible to get to that actor through them rather than through an agent. You know, and social media, Facebook can be a way to do that. I've cast through Facebook. That is actually really true. No one will tell you, but actually it's um, the people that you know it's going to help you out the most. So that's why networking is so important because you might meet people who, you know, know Sly Stallone or something and then... Like, seriously. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Right, I can see everybody's gagging for a drink. So I'm going to give a, a massive, massive clap. Please, please show some love for this fantastic panel that, that have come together. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for you know coming along and, and, and talking, and it's been fantastic. And thank you, everybody in the audience as well, because that's been absolutely brilliant. We're going to go down and we're going to have our, our network on, and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll follow up. And hopefully, this could actually be the start of a proper community of something that we can do together, that we can help each other, that we can, as as somebody once said, send the elevator back down. The Filmmakers Podcast is kept going by your generous support. To hear some bonus content from today's episode and future content, subscribe to our Patreon.